0: We are continuing the series, Seeing Through the Fog. Sometimes our emotions can get a little foggy, but God can help us see how those emotions can lead us directly to Him. He can help us see through the fog. And today, Pastor David will be sharing how God can help us see through the fog of envy. Take a moment now and prepare your heart for today's service. We are continuing our series today on uh, Seeing Through the Fog. And we have been talking about how God wants to help us see through the fog of uh, our emotions and things that fog our mind mentally. We, in the start of this series, we talked about shame. God wants to help us see through the fog of shame, that shame takes the things that we've done, the things that have been done to us, the things that we're associated with, those bad things. And it makes us think that there weren't just bad things. It makes us think we are bad. And shame often lives in secrecy, but Jesus Christ gladly took on the shame of the cross for us he disregarded its shame so that we could be freed from the shame that that sin and those things that are around us in our life, want to associate us with. He, he wants to free us from that shame. Two weeks ago, we talked about depression. We said depression lies. Depression wants to rob us of hope that God gives us in our life. But see, our hope, if we are in Christ Jesus, our hope is in a person. It's in the person of Jesus. And depression can't rob us of hope because it can't rob us of Jesus. And so our hope is in him, and we have to keep our hope in him. Last week, my wife so beautifully shared her story and talked about anxiety. Talk about Anxiety is a cruel master. And it, 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 wants, to, uh, it, it wants to not help us see, the, it doesn't allow us to see the will of God for our life. Anxiety is not the will of God for our life. God wants to give us a peace in our mind. And she, she talked about, pointed us to scripture to show us that, that we need to learn to discipline our mind. That we need to learn to pray, to have conversation with God, to petition God, to, to seek him uh, boldly. And specifically the things that, that we have in our life and, uh, and how we need to be thankful, to have gratitude in our heart and in our life as well. So today we're going to continue on by, uh, with this series. We're going to talk about envy Today we're going to talk about envy. Today, speaking of being envious, I want to say hey to Pastor Casey who is joining us today. Hey, uh, not he's not envious of me, right? I, I, for years I was uh, so it's a joke. It was just a way I thought, hey, I'll transition. I saw him sitting over there, and I say, how can I transition to say hey to Pastor Casey? But anyway, uh, I want to ask a question. This question is not a setup to, uh, for a gotcha moment. Okay. It's, uh, it's not a trick question or anything like that. How many of you in here are on social media? You're on social media. Let's see, be honest. Let's see the hands, watch them. Some of you are like, should I? I don't know. Does it, do I want people to know I'm on there? Yeah. All right. So see majority of the people in this room are on social media. Those of you who are not, you're free. You're awesome. That's great. Uh, keep it that way. Cause you're not missing anything. Um, uh, and, uh, Another question I want to ask you, you don't have to raise your hands for this, but being on social media, how often have you seen people, seen things on social media that made you think that somebody else in life has it way better than you? I said, you didn't have to raise your hand. <laughs> okay. You don't have to raise your hand for this. How many of you have tried to make your life look a lot better than what it really is? for the, those on social media to see and think you've got it better than what it really is, right? You, you, I, don't, I don't post a lot. The reason I don't post a lot is because I don't get a lot of likes. Jenny gets all the likes, so I just let her post. Uh, not that I'm envious of Jenny or anything like that. But anyway, you know, there was one time when you know, we, we go on vacation, I've shown this before. I, I don't have it today. I, maybe I should have because there's a lot of new people. But. But there's something, we always like to take pictures at Vacation. One of the places I like to take pictures at is I like to take family selfies in front of a restaurant we just ate at that was really good. So if we ever go back there again, I remember that restaurant that we ate at. You know, say, hey, let's go back to that place. It was really good. So anyway, we're taking a a family picture in front of this restaurant. And uh, I'm notorious for forgetting that my phone's on video and not on photo. And so we're sitting there, we're getting ready to take it. And so I press the red button thinking I'm about to take a photo while I'm taking a video. And I get, a, I get a video of a moment of frustration as we're trying to huddle there together. Everybody smile, right? Make it look happy. Uh, a moment of frustration that takes place in, in, in that time. And the video captures it. And then we have to regather and get back together and smile again and take the picture. Now what gets posted? The picture with everybody smiling and everybody happy. But what you don't see is the, the moment of frustration behind the scenes, right? Now that, that it's very simple. It wasn't like a, a family brawl that took place, but but, uh, but it's just a reminder for me how oftentimes what we see on social media or anything in life, often what we see is not, we don't see the behind the scenes, we're only seeing what people want us to see the majority of the time, right? And see, research, research even tells us, uh, one, one group, uh, studyfinds.com, did a study. They sent out survey questions. The people that they surveyed, 60% of these people said that they view their friends as having a better life than they have simply because of what they seem posted on social media. You can find research after research. You just Google it, you'll see. Well, research after research is showing that social media is increasing depression and anxiety, two things of which we just talked about, in people's lives more and more every day. And even though we're becoming more and more depressed, more and more anxious, we still can't put this down. And we still can't stop doing this. Well. But it, it happens because we become jealous and we become envious often of what we're seeing in other people's lives. So as we go into this topic this morning, we're looking at envy. I want us to understand, you probably know what envy but I want us to understand together what envy is, what it does to us, and how hopefully we can combat it and we can come against it. Social media is not the originator of envy. Envy's been around for a long time, long before social media ever came into existence. I mean, in fact, you know, we talked about how shame came in the very beginning. It, 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 entered our world when sin entered our world in a garden with Adam and Eve, they became full of shame, but envy in a way opened the door for what caused all that because Eve began to think that she wasn't getting everything that she could have. And that's essentially what envy is. It makes us think we're not getting all that. We can be getting. There's more out there for us that we're missing out on. When you go through all throughout scripture, you see these places of envy. You see people battle with envy. Cain and Abel, the first two siblings, Cain became envious of Abel. As as you go on in in scripture, you you see more envy. One another example would you see Rachel become envious of Leah. But what's funny is Leah is envious of Rachel. How often does that happen in life? The person, the very person you're looking at their life, wishing you had. They're probably looking at your life wishing I had yours. But envy does that to us. Joseph's brothers became envious of him. Envy made the top 10 list and God's top 10 commandments, right? Is that what we call it? It, it, Of the 10 commandments, it was in that list. The very last one that Moses brought down from the mountain says, don't covet what your neighbor has. Don't envy. Saul envied David. We go all through scripture. You get even to the New Testament when Jesus was walking this earth, the chief priests envied Jesus and the crowds that were following him and listening to his teachings. Envy envy basically causes us to want what we don't have. It causes us to want what others have. It causes us to feel like we don't have enough. And what envy will do to us is envy will take us from just being in a place of discontentment to being in a place of resentment, where we resent others. We resent ourselves. We resent the choices that we've made that, or the choices we didn't make. We resent God. We resent what we think we're missing out on. There's all kinds of envies that we face in our life. One of those envies that we face, we face physical envy where we look at someone else or we see someone else and we think, why can't I look like them? Why, why can't my belly be as flat as their belly? Right? Huh? Why, why can't I? Why can't I? I there was a, there's a person that goes to this church, posted a picture on social media this past week. Him, his two sons, and his father. The young, one, one of the sons, you, I, I'm not going to name names. You may know who I'm talking about. One of the youngest sons was in a bodybuilding contest, so all the men decided to flex for a picture. And I'm looking at that picture, and I'm looking at those young guys, and I'm thinking, man, why didn't I look like that when I was their age? Probably because I didn't work out like they worked out. Then I look at the grandfather, and I'm thinking, man, I really hope I can have his physique as a granddad, you know? I'm looking at dad in the middle, and I'm thinking, yeah, I'm good, I'm all right. physical envy. I mean, we see things and we envy. We, we, we think, why can't I look like that? Then, then you got relational envy, right? You see other people's relationships and you think, why can't our relationship be like their relationship? Why can't you be like them? You see, we see, I mean, I don't know if it trends now, but for a long time, the hashtag relationship goals would always would be trending. People talking about relationship goals, they just putting it on there to look like they meeting their goals. They ain't meeting those goals. But you look at them and you think, why can't we be like that? That's what envy does to us. You, you material envy. You see what other people have. You want what they have. You want all the nice stuff. Circumstantial envy. Just basically, I mean, things happening in their life, opportunities happening. Once, I mean, young people look at older people, I wish I was like you and I could be out of school and I could be free and I can do what I want to do. And ironically, old people looking at young people thinking, I wish I was like you and didn't hurt when I got out of bed in the morning and didn't have all these responsibilities and the weight of the pressure of carrying these people I'm responsible for. Envy is what envy does to us. And to our life, look at what Solomon said, Ecclesiastes chapter four, verse four. Look at, look at what he says. He said, I observed that most people are motivated to success because they what? Envy. They envy their neighbors. But then he says this, but this too is meaningless. It's like chasing after the wind. Have you ever seen anyone chasing the wind? It might look like this. If you saw people running around doing that, you would think you are weird. There's something wrong with you. Why are you running around grasping at nothing? And that's what Paul is saying. But this is what you're doing. This is what we're doing. Your success, my success is motivated. I'm motivated to succeed because I envy other people's success. I envy what's happening in other people's lives. So everything that's, all my motivation comes from envying my neighbors. And Solomon says, dude, you look like that guy. Sorry, Pastor Caleb. Not, I mean, not, you look like the foolishness that that guy's doing, the act. But envy is more than just petty jealousy. It's, it's more serious. It's more dangerous. James wrote about it. In James chapter 3, verses 14 to 16, look at what James says. He said, if, if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, don't boast about it or deny the truth. Don't lie to yourself, in other words, is what he's saying. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but it's earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you'll find disorder in every evil practice. So see, envy is way more than just being a little jealous over something. Envy is evil. And it creates in us a desire towards doing things that will be evil. I want us to go to a psalm, Psalm 73, this morning. And I want us to see how the author of the psalm points out what envy did to him but also points out a solution for it psalm 73 this is a psalm written by a guy named Asaph Asaph we see in first chronicles chapter 6 was a he was basically a minister of music he was a worship leader he was the pastor Brian of his day he you know he was the one David had appointed all of these uh, a bunch of different men to be leaders over worship at the tent of meeting and Asaph was one of those And so Asaph wrote this Psalm and listen to what he says. We're just, we're going to read through the Psalm, right? So let's read this together. Psalm 73, truly God is good to Israel, to those whose hearts are pure. But as for me, I almost lost my footing. My feet were slipping and I was almost gone for I envied the proud when I saw them prosper, despite their wickedness. They seem to live such painless lives. Their bodies are so healthy and strong. They don't have troubles like other people. They're not plagued and have problems like everyone else. They wear pride like a jeweled necklace and clothe themselves with cruelty. These fat cats have everything their hearts could ever wish for. They scoff and speak only evil. In their pride, they seek to crush others. They boast against the very heavens and their words strut throughout the earth. And so the people are dismayed and confused, drinking in all their words. What does God know? They ask. Does the most high even know what's happening? Look at these wicked people enjoying a life of ease while their riches multiply. Did I keep my heart pure for nothing? Did I keep myself innocent for no reason? I get nothing but trouble all day long. Every morning brings me pain. If I had really spoken this way to others, I would have been a traitor to your people. So I tried to understand why the wicked prosper, but what a difficult task it is. Then I went into your sanctuary O God. And I finally understood the destiny of the wicked. Truly, you put them on a slippery path and send them sliding over the cliff to destruction. And in an instant, they are destroyed, completely swept away by terrors. When you arise, O Lord, you will laugh at their silly ideas as a person laughs at dreams in the morning. Then I realized that my heart was bitter. And I was all torn up inside. I was so foolish and ignorant. I must have seemed like a senseless animal to you. Yet I still belong to you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, leading me to a glorious destiny. Whom have I in heaven but you? I desire you more than anything on earth. My health may fail, my spirit may grow weak. My God remains the strength of my heart; He's mine forever. Those who desert Him will perish. For you destroy those who abandon you. But as for me, how good it is to be near God! I've made the sovereign Lord my shelter, and I will tell everyone about the wonderful things you do. This psalm is so loaded with what a, a teaching and a lesson about envy. One of the things envy does to us is it distorts our view of others. Look at what he says in, again in verses 4, 5, and 7. He says, they seem to live. In other words, the, the, the picture he's getting is he's getting this picture of how they're living their life. And it's, it's distorted. I love verse 7 in the New Living Translation. You, you never thought you'd see somebody being called fat cats in the Bible, did you? But that's how he sees these people. He said these fat cats, they get away with everything. And that's what envy does. It distorts our view. We look at other people's lives. We think their life is perfect. They've got it all together. They don't suffer any consequences for anything. Everything is great for them. But our our view is distorted. It's twisted. It's misleading. It's not real. It's not true. Because we have the the complex that we know so famously, the grass is greener on the other side, right? Right? two old adages I've heard in regards to that. They're not biblical, but I think they hold weight. One is this. If the grass looks greener on the other side, it's probably because it's sitting over a septic tank. I mean, yeah, it might look lush and it might look pretty and they all might look great, but we don't know the stink that's underneath it. And another one was this, well, if the grass always looks greener on the other side, maybe it's time to start watering your own. And there's truth to that too. But we know it's, envy makes it hard to do that. Because it's hard to, to, to think of what we can do to water our own because we can't stop resenting them for what they have. Because our view of them is distorted. But not only is our view of them distorted, the view of ourselves is distorted. Look at what Asaph said in verses thirteen and fourteen. He said, "Did I keep my heart pure for nothing? Did I keep my inno- myself innocent for no reason? I get nothing but trouble all day long." The view of his life is distorted. The envy makes us think that nothing ever goes right for us. We don't have enough. We have nothing to be thankful for. But envy causes our view of ourself and our life to be misleading. To be twisted. So what happens when we start, when we have this distorted view of others and this distorted view of ourselves? Well, one is we resent. We've said this, we resent. We resent, resent what's happening in other people's lives and what we think they're getting. Jenny used a German word last week, vergen, which is the word we get worry from. I thought I would use a German word this week. Schadenfreude. One, because it's really fun to say. Schadenfreude. Let me tell you what schadenfreude means. It basically means your pain brings me joy. Martin Luther described it this way. He said, some people are not happy unless they see that their fellow man is doing poorly. They feel sad when others do well and would gladly lose one of their own eyes to keep their neighbor from having any eyes at all. This is what resentment does to us. This is the schadenfreude that it produces in us. Paul said it this way. He wrote in his letter to the church of Rome, Romans, we see it. Romans chapter 12, verse 15, he told the church, he said, Rejoice when others rejoice. This translation says, Be happy. when Those around you are happy. Weep when they mourn. But our schadenfreude, our resentment causes us to do the exact opposite. We rejoice when they mourn and weep. We weep when they rejoice. But envy leads us to this place. What else does it do to us? It also causes us to live in this mindset where we're constantly comparing ourselves to them. And we're constantly competing with them. A friend of mine, uh, when I was in youth ministry, we were really close He would use this phrase often, and I'm not sure where it came from. I don't think it originated with him. But he said this, compare and compete, you live in defeat. It's very simple. And it's so true. Because if we're constantly comparing ourselves with others, competing with others, we're, we're living in a state of defeat. Andy Stanley said envy will do this to you. Envy will leave you competing with people who have no idea they're in competition with you. Jesus' disciples did this all the time. They were arguing about who's going to get who's going to sit at Jesus' life. Who's going to be the right and left? Who's going to be the most important? Who is going to be the greatest? And Jesus had to talk to them. There's a very funny part. You can go back and look at it later. It's John chapter 21. John's writing this passage, this thing happening, this conversation happening between Peter and Jesus. John and Peter seem to have this compare and compete thing going on. He, he, in one of the earlier writings with John, he's talking about them racing to the tomb. And John always described himself as the disciple Jesus loved, which is very funny. And, and you you should read the Bible. And so, and, um, and, and he's talking about them racing to the tomb, but he makes sure to throw in there the one Jesus loved beat the other one to the tomb. Who cares, John? But anyway, that's what guys do. Maybe some women too, really. But, um, but he's writing this about this conversation between Peter and Jesus. And Jesus is talking to Peter and consoling him from where he had denied him three times. And he's asking him, do you love me? And Jesus, Peter's saying, yes, I do. And he's told him three different times, feed my sheep. And then John writes that Peter looks over his shoulder and realizes that John is basically eavesdropping. It's there. You can read it. John 21, it's around 20 verses 20 to 22. He's saying, Peter looks over his shoulder and there's John listening to the conversation. And so Peter looks at Jesus and basically, well, what about this guy? what's going on with this dude? And Jesus says to him, he says this, he says, if I want him to stay alive until I come back again, what is that to you? You do what I've called you to do. Don't constantly, don't compare your calling to other people's callings. Don't compare your blessings to other people's blessings. Because if we compare and compete, our life is constantly just defeated. Paul said it this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. It's the same chapter Jenny pointed to when she talked about taking captive your thoughts. Look at one of the thoughts Paul said he has to take captive. Don't worry, we we wouldn't dare say that we are as wonderful as these other men who tell you how important they are. Y'all know anybody like that? He says, but they are only comparing themselves with each other. Using themselves as the standard for measurement. How ignorant, Paul says. In other words, what Paul is saying is, I don't compare my calling with their calling. I have to take that thought captive, he's saying. I only compare what I'm doing based on what God has called me to do. And what God wants for my life. He tells the church in Galatia. we see in Galatians chapter 6, verse 4. He says, pay careful attention to your own work for then you'll get the satisfaction of a job well done and you won't need to compare yourself to anyone because constantly comparing yourself and competing with others keeps you in a place of defeat. But this is what envy does. It distorts our view of others. It distorts our view of ourselves. It makes us envious. It causes us to be resentful. It causes us to compare and compete. But not only does it do those things, it distorts our view of God and God's goodness. Look at Look at what Asaph said again, verse eleven and seventy-three. He said, "Made this thing. What does God know?" They, they said, "Does the Most High even know what's happening?" We have this distorted understanding of God and His goodness and what He's doing around us. You know, we mentioned earlier Eve in the garden. She had every tree at her disposal everything around her. She could eat the fruit of any tree except for one. And temptation and evil caused her to think that even though she had so much, she was missing out on one thing. Even in the middle of paradise, envy makes you think you don't have enough. She couldn't enjoy all that God had given her for enjoyment because she was led to believe that she was missing out on something and God was holding something out on her. And we'll all we we'll think that sometimes. God's withholding his goodness from me. One of the side effects of, of COVID was you lose taste. I don't know if you had COVID and if you lost your taste. That, that didn't happen to me, thank God. For those of you who did, I feel really sorry for you. I'd hate to lose my taste. It did mess up my taste, though. I remember when I had COVID, Jenny, bless her she's so sweet. She was taking care of me and bringing stuff and leaving food for me to eat. And I'd asked her one morning, well, you made me an egg sandwich. I wanted an egg sandwich. She brings me an egg sandwich. I take a bite. And I thought, you know, my wife, she loves salt. She'll put salt on a lot of stuff. I take a bite and I thought, my word, this egg sandwich is salty. What did did she dump the container of salt inside this egg? It was crazy. Of course, I was not going to say anything until later that day when we were laughing together. Then I said, through the door, of course, I said, did you put a lot of salt in the egg this morning? And she said, no, I didn't put salt in the egg. I know you don't like all that. Man, that's so weird. It tasted really salty. And then the meals I ate from there on, every meal I ate for the next couple of weeks tasted extremely salty. This is what envy does. It messes up our taste for the goodness that God has for us. We can't taste his goodness the way it's meant to be tasted. But this is why David wrote in Psalm 34, verse eight. He said, taste and see that the Lord is what? Good. Don't let that be distorted in your life. He is good. Taste his goodness. Solomon, the very one that told us that we're motivated because of envy. He wrote this and we see it in Proverbs chapter 14. Can't be any more clear about envy. A heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones because it robs us. Our view of those around us, our view of ourselves, our view of God and his goodness is distorted, but envy also destroys our peace, it destroys our joy, and it destroys our contentment. So what do we need to do? Well, maybe you do need to get off of social media. Maybe that will help. Maybe mute the ones that are constantly causing you to think this these things in your life. Maybe you need to cancel those subscriptions to those magazines, books streaming services, whatever it is that's causing you to constantly think you don't have enough and you wish you had more. Maybe you need to stop watching HGTV. Maybe that's just, (laughs) you're welcome guys. Um, You know, those are great places to start, but ASAP shows us the most important thing to do above anything else what we need to do. He said it in verse 17 of Psalm 73. Nope. There it is. Then I went into your sanctuary. Remember, Asaph led worship. He worshiped. He was a worshiper. All this stuff battling in his mind, battling in his heart, But he said, then I went into your sanctuary. what did he do? He worshiped. He went into a place of worship before God. And as he worshiped God, his heart began to be whole again. The fog began to lift. Soren Kierkegaard said that envy, he described it in one of his books this way, envy is a concealed admiration. In other words, what envy does is it reveals what you're worshiping. So the way that we combat that is to begin to worship God above anything. The psalmist in Psalm 84 verses 10 to 12 said this. He says, a single day in your courts is better than a thousand anywhere else. I'd rather be a gatekeeper in the house of my God than live the good life. In the homes of the wicked. Verse 11, he says, For the Lord God is our son and our shield. He gives us grace and glory. The Lord will withhold no good thing from us for those who do what's right. O Lord of heaven's armies, what joy for those who trust in you. And he concludes it by saying, in verse 12, Is it froze? Okay. O oh Lord of heaven's armies, what joy for those who trust in you. So reflect on his goodness. Reflect on his kindness. Reflect If you think you have nothing else to be thankful for, reflect on what he did for you on the cross. But because the cross is proof that God withholds no good thing from you. And hold on to the eternity that God has for you. One author by the name of Jen Wilkins said, those who know good awaits them in heaven can be content with very little on earth. Asaph's writing in Psalm 73 tells us and points us to the fact that if we can be content or if we we worship God, as we worship him, it will begin to restore how we view others. It'll begin to restore how we view ourselves and how we view God and his goodness. It'll restore our joy in him. Real quick, as we're closing, verses 25 and 26 of 73 says, Whom have I in heaven but you? Look at these words again. And think about again what we were singing at the end of worship this morning. I desire you more than anything on earth. See, envy will push us to desire things more than we desire God. But God has to be enough. My health may fail, my spirit may grow weak, but God remains the strength of my heart, and He is mine forever. He's all I need. Paul said it this way, and well, you you can find it in Philippians chapter four. He says, "He says I have learned to be content." And how did he learn to be content? Because Christ was his source of everything. Christ was his strength. Everything he needed was in Jesus. Jesus was enough for him. So cling to Christ. Recognize that his presence is real in your life. Recognize that he wants to give you a peace that will go beyond your ability to understand why you don't think you have everything that you need to have. He'll be your rock. He'll be your sustainer. He'll be your, he is your redeemer. He is your assurance. He's everything that you need. It's Jesus. It's his spirit that he left you, his presence. It's God in your life because you have a void in your life, an emptiness. There is a longing inside of you that you have been birthed with that is crying out for something. It's longing for something this world will never feel. And you're constantly running around and grabbing at it, chasing wind, Solomon says. But everything you're chasing and trying to fill that void with in this world is never going to fulfill it. It will never be enough. But the longing that's within you is only meant to be filled by the presence of God through what Jesus Christ did for you and by his Holy Spirit and by his presence in your life. And until Christ becomes enough for us, we constantly batter, battle discontent. And envy will try to rule our heart. So the question that we need to ask ourselves this morning Is is Jesus enough for me? And when will I make Jesus enough for my life? Stand with me this morning. Father, we just, we give this time to you. Father, as we close this time of worship, this time of the service. Father, there may be some of us in this room today that need to have a moment like Asaph had, had, where we look back and we say, then I went into your sanctuary. Father, I pray that, that we can begin to worship you seek you. is the only thing we need in this life. Let the words we say that Holy Spirit, you're all I want. Jesus, you're all I want. God, your presence is all I want. Let it be true. Let it be real. Father, help us to guard our heart from the spirit of envy from the evil that it tries to create in our heart and our life. Or it creates a longing for something more than you, Father. For anyone in this room today that's never taken a step to even begin a walk in a journey with you, Father, I pray today would be that day. They take a step and say, "Jesus, I believe in what you did on the cross, and I want to follow you today." I want to do exactly what Paul did. And I want to learn to be content in you. And I want you to be the source of my strength. You can say those words. You can pray that prayer today in your own words, in your own heart, as we worship him. But let's just worship Christ as we close this morning. Let him come rest on you.